0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We kick off a new series called Rooted, and we are going to go verse by verse through the book of Colossians. What a dynamic way to start the new year. You know, the Bible is our measure of rule. It is, it is, the, it is the words of God that we measure all of our thoughts, our opinions, Uh, Our dreams, our desires, our goal, our will is measured to God's will. And uh, according to the scripture, we are to then align our life to that measure, not the other way around, which we often do. Uh, We pick and choose what we want to believe and accept when actually the Bible is what is to be transforming us. So uh, rather than us transforming the Bible and its words into what our opinions or images are, uh, what we are going to do this month is we're going to take a look at a little Book in the New Testament. It's only four chapters, but it is jam-packed with insight on getting grafted and rooted so that you can grow strong and grow tall. And uh, this little book is called Colossians. Now, in the early church, uh, letters uh, were passed around by the apostles. The apostles were the leaders of the church that God put in place, that Jesus himself ordained uh, to declare his word and to establish the beginning or the launching of the kingdom of God through the body of Christ. Now, these letters, uh, some of them survived. We have some of them, and they make up the New Testament. When you look at the book of Colossians, it's not really a book. It's a letter. And one of those fancy words in the Bible that mean letter is the word epistle. So if you've ever seen, well, the epistle to the church of Colossae or the epistle of Colossae, that means just the letter to the church that's in Colossae. It's actually a real group of people in a real place. We're going to talk about them in a second. Now, they didn't have too many of these letters. They weren't compiled into the New Testament yet. So they were basically written again on another piece of paper and then passed around so they were kind of shared so we're going to read a letter that was written to a particular church and then it was shared with other churches and then over the years it was compiled and and it's trustworthy as authentic as coming from paul himself and we are learning today about what the early church was going through and how he dealt with issues that they were dealing with and how it applies and deals with things we're going through for some of them some of the churches all they had was one or two of these Epistles, Uh, one or two of these letters, like when we read the book of when we read this letter, Colossians, they probably didn't have the letter to Corinthians that we have. They probably didn't have the book of Galatians, which we have. They probably had the book of Ephesians because they were like less than 100 miles away. So, uh, and they were a church that shared the same leadership. So let's, let's dive into this. One of those early letters circulating was Colossians. Uh, this letter covers a lot. It's a small book with a big message. Let's jump right in. Verse 1, chapter 1. Here we go. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God. That's important. And Timothy, our brother. That means Timothy uh, was a, a, a basically a fellow minister that traveled with Paul. And at times, Paul put him places to pastor. For instance, he was the pastor at the church of Ephesus for quite a while. And later on in the New Testament, you read First and Second Timothy. That's the same guy that Paul is writing to. All right, so he kind of poured his life into Timothy. Timothy traveled with him a lot, and both of them were in prison right now together. So it says, um, uh, And Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, all we're going to do today is we're going to read his hello. All right, we're going we're to unpack uh, about 18 verses uh, at the very beginning of Colossians, which is basically his hello. He gives a, man, I'm so thankful for you section. And then he gives a, "I am prayerful for you section. And we're going to look at what he's thankful for. And we're going to look what he's prayerful for. All right. So, uh, but let's break down the who, what, where, and when and why of Colossians. First of all, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. I would say by the will of God. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now, who is this Paul guy and what is an apostle? Well, the word apostle, whenever you read that in the New Testament, means sent one or one with a message. One sent with a message. And Paul says, I am an apostle, one sent with a message by Christ Jesus and by the will of God. See, this is not Paul's thing. This is not Paul's Will. This is God's will. I'm not coming with my message. I'm coming with the message from Christ Jesus. Let me put it this way Um, Summer is an early riser in our house. She's like sometimes the first person up. She likes to get up, organize her room, make her bed, go over her itinerary for the day, which she does have an itinerary for the day. She sometimes writes it out the night before. Uh, Oftentimes she'll pick out her clothes and she's already establishing her schoolwork. She, we're homeschoolers. So she's up early doing her homework. Noel, on the other side, if we never woke her up, she would sleep probably 24 hours. She would wake up in time for food um, and then go back to bed. Now, sometimes we send Summer in to wake up Noel. Noel uh, then has an option to make, to listen to Summer. Now, now Summer... When I send her in to wake up Noel, Summer is an apostle of me. And she carries my words. She carries my instruction. She carries my authority. And she carries my urgency. And if Noel does not listen to her, who is she disobeying? Dad, not Summer. Because Summer is a sent one or an apostle of her dad at that moment. When Paul says he is An apostle, then his words, his instruction, his authority, and his urgency come from Jesus. That's what apostle means. That's an incredibly large uh, authority that has been given to the apostles that wrote the scriptures. In fact, a requirement for all of the New Testament was that all of the New Testament had to be written by an apostle. See, there were other pastors and leaders, godly men and women in the New Testament, but only the apostles' words were considered scripture because only the apostles were coming in the will of God and by the words of Jesus Christ. So this is a big claim, and Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ sent by Jesus by the will of God. So this is important to establish because this is not Paul's opinions, This is not Paul's suggestions. He's coming in the authority and with the urgency and with the instruction of God. And then he says, uh, by the way, he didn't ask for this. He didn't ask for that position. He didn't work his way through church up to apostleship. In fact, he was running from God when God called him. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and Paul tells it two more times in other books, in in, in other letters of the New Testament when he shares his testimony. But he was a persecutor of Christians. He was on his way to arrest more Christians when Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his horse, caused him to be blind, sent him to another place to meet a man where he met his Savior, Jesus Christ, gave his life to Christ, was baptized, and Jesus called him into ministry and called him to be an apostle, to go where no one would go. And that is to the Gentiles. That means everybody that wasn't a Jew. Jesus called Paul to preach to the non-Jewish people the truth of Jesus. This was Jesus from the beginning. He was abused. He was beaten. He was starved. And he was imprisoned for it. It was a burden and a blessing to be an apostle. He says to God's holy people in Colossae. If I say Colossae. Colossae is a real city. Take a look at this map here. you can kind of see where Colossians is or Colossae. That's Colossae. It is what is today known as Turkey. At that time it was, it was um, Asia Minor and uh, that other dot is Ephesus. That's, that's the big city. Ephesus is one of the largest cities in all of the Roman Empire, second only to to Rome. In fact, uh, Ephesus was considered the center of the Christian church after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. It is a a it's the place where John the apostle was an elder. He's the only apostle out of all of the apostles that lived to be a full old man and die an old man the Apostle John, all the rest were martyred. And where was he as an old man? Well, he was an elder at Ephesus. Timothy, the guy who helped write this book to Colossae, served time as a pastor in Ephesus. And in fact, this city is a place where Paul has never been, Colossians or Colossae. He had been to ephesus a lot paul started the church there in fact some of the people from ephesus who gave their life to christ went back home to the suburbs or to the next town and Colossae is one of them so he writes to Colossae because he knows some of the people there though he'd never been there he led them to christ in ephesus at different ministry events and and trips that he took paul look over there the big boot everybody remembers where italy is because it looks like a boot Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire and the capital of Italy, and that's where Paul was at, in prison. He was under house arrest. That means he couldn't go anywhere. See, he was arrested in Jerusalem, and he was taken to Rome, and he was awaiting a trial. He was a... a a roman citizen who was both a gentile and a jewish person that was paul so he claimed both you know kind of a bi-citizenship type thing both jewish both a gentile he was a roman citizen so they didn't treat him as harshly as they might have a foreigner they actually kept him under house arrest while he was awaiting his trial we don't know when but later on he was actually beheaded in rome but at this time he's alive this is one of Four, what's known as the Pauline prison epistles. He wrote four letters in the New Testament while he was in prison right now. And this is one of them. So he's in a Roman prison and the church in Colossae is struggling. They're in a, now Colossae is a small town. It's the smallest of a tri-city area. So there's like, in fact, maybe you've heard of the city Laodicea. Laodicea is like, like 20 minutes from, uh, from Colossae, and Laodicea was the big town. In fact, take a look at this picture. Here's, here's ancient Colossae and ancient Laodicea. They're right next to each other. Colossae was part of a tri-city metroplex, and Colasse was the smallest out of all three of them. In fact, one of them was a trade route. One of them was kind of like this, this uh, mining town and this fabric town. Colossae was where everybody lived who didn't live in the big city. They were like the the Plano to the Dallas. They were they were like the Garland to the Dallas. They were a smaller city outside of a larger city. And here's Colosse, and they're in a culture because it's a trade route. They're in a culture that is filled with all kinds of pagan religions, all kinds of witchcraft and all kinds of uh, uh, confusing Jewish traditions that were trying to be forced onto the Christians there. And so there's all these kind of struggles going on with this church. Well, the pastor Epaphras is struggling. So he travels all the way to Rome to meet with Paul. Who's in prison. He shares with Paul all, all of his concerns about his church back in Colossae. And this letter is the response from the pastor or from Paul to the pastor. Now the pastor ends up staying there with Paul for a while and he sends the letter back with a messenger and a guy named Onesimus. Now, I don't know if you guys remember last year's series called Philemon. The book of Philemon is the name of a guy and it was about a runaway slave who left a slave, became back a brother who left a prisoner, but he came back one free in Christ. Uh, this is the same church, the town, and the place that Philemon and Onesimus went to church. So when Onesimus was sent back with a letter to, for Philemon, he had two letters in his pocket, one for Philemon and one for Colossae, the church. And this is that letter. So Colossae, by the way, uh, jump up a couple of years later, Uh, Just after this letter, an earthquake hit, wiped out the whole city, and uh, left it in rubbles, and the city was abandoned. And to this day, it is rubble because of the earthquake that happened shortly after this letter. So why did Paul, an apostle in jail, write to a dying town uh, in an area where, well, there just wasn't a lot going on because everyone matters and because... God cares about you and wants to see you mature. And this is a small struggling group of Christians who probably met in a house by Lehman's house. And Paul wanted to see them mature in Christ. And today we have the evidence. This is probably the only letter they had, but this is the word of the Lord to them. So with that in mind, the letter covers a variety of issues. Um, there's what's known as orthodoxy and orthopraxy in it. Orthodoxy is how to think, orthopraxy is how to live. So the first half of Colossians talks about what you should believe and think about Jesus. And about God, what you should believe and think about who God is and what he means to you. The second half of the book is how you should live in light of what you know. This is how you know, and this is how you live. He says, this is the layout of Colossians. So it's a great book on covers two big areas, what to think about God and how to live out what you know about God. So it's a powerful book. It's great. Let's jump in. Paul starts with a love sandwich. I don't know if do you guys know what the leadership love sandwich is. Leadership love sandwiches, where you go in and you say, "Man, you're awesome. I love you, man. You're doing great. Here's some things I'm really proud of you about. But this is what needs to change. This is what you need to work on." And no, by the way, I love you. You're awesome. You're doing a great job. That is good leadership. That's the leadership love sandwich, and I give that often. So if I ever come to you and go, "You're doing great. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. There's some things in your life I'm so happy with. You just know the, the meat's coming." All right. That's just the bun. That's just a soft and mushy love bun. All right. And then I'm going to give it to you straight and then I'm going to cover you with some love again. So you're like, wow, I just, I love that beating. That was awesome. I would never do that, but beating it is. I would give you the love sandwich and this is what he does. So his hello is the love part. So this part that we're going to look at today is these are all the things that the church in Colossae seemed to be doing right in his prayer for them. And then next week, we're going to dive into some of the issues they were struggling with that he had to clarify with them. Okay, so let's kind of take a look at this today. Colossians 1, let's end up, uh, let's start with the verse we ended on, verse 3. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why do we thank God? Why? Well, because we've heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus, what is he thankful for? Well, he's man. He's blessed, man. He is so thankful when he hears uh, uh, three specific things about them, and we're going to take a look at them. The first thing that he says, man, when I when I think about you and I hear about you, I am so thankful because number one, you are rooted in Jesus. He says, he says, man, when I think about you, the faithful brothers in Christ, verse four, because we, man, I'm so thankful because I've heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus, they were rooted in living in faith in Jesus. So this is important to know. Colossians was written to Christians. All right. So if you're not a Christian, you'll still get the gist of Colossians, but it may not kind of connect the dots for you because it was written to Christians who wanted to know more about Jesus and were struggling to understand who he was. All right, But he's writing to people who, man, who are rooted in Christ. They bowed the knee to Jesus. They've said, Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my life. He says, your faith is real. And when I hear about you, man, I can't help but thank God that you know Jesus. Man, faith, he says, your faith in Jesus. Faith here means to trust and obey. He says, man, when I think about you, man, I am blessed when I know that you're walking out your faith the best that you know how. Your faith. Your obedience, your walk in Christ makes me happy. You know, where we are in Christ is far more important than where we are in life. Let me say that again. Where we are in Christ is far more important than where we are in life. He says, man, I don't, he's saying like, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. He says, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know exactly maybe where you live or what side of town you're in. If you're on this side of the tracks, that side of the tracks. I don't know if you just got fired. I don't know how your marriage is doing. I don't know what your job situation or school situation is like, but what matters to me and what should matter to you more than what we're going through in life is where you are in Christ. He says, and I'm thankful that you're rooted in Christ because that's going to make the difference for everything in your life. We get so caught up in life where we are and what we're going through, Paul zeroes in on what's important. This is the question I have for you before we can really establish anything else is are you in Christ? Some of you here are checking out Jesus and man, keep checking him out because I hope you find him. He's, He's trustworthy. And he's, he's who he says that he is. And, and I hope you allow the Holy Spirit to kind of nudge you and move you in that direction. But the question is, are you in Christ? Because that's where it starts. He says, I am thankful that you are rooted and remained in him. So it goes on to say, he says, I also am thankful because, he says in verse 4, of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope or the confidence that we have stored up for us in heaven. He says, man, that, that hope of heaven. I am so thankful when I know of your love. Here's the second thing. He says, I'm thankful that you're rooted in Christ and I'm thankful you're rooted in love. He says, man, when I hear about you, man, you're, you're, you're lovers, you're lovers of people. He says, when, when, when I see you, when I think about you, when I hear the news about you, I'm overwhelmed by your love. And this is important because love here is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It is a decision. It is a, it, it, well, it's more than a decision. Also, it's, it's a decision that results in action. So when, you, when he says, I am so thankful for the love you have for other people, he says, I'm thankful for the actions and what you do to show the love of God to other people. This is all about action, not Emotion, Love is not a feeling. It is not sympathy. It is not empathy. It is not a thought. Love is making a decision, getting up and doing something about it. It reaches out to our neighbors. It feeds the hungry. It clothes the naked. It forgives those that have hurt you. And it serves when no one else is serving. In fact, John 13, 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The evidence that you are rooted in Christ is that you're rooted in love. He goes on to say this. John does, the very apostle that walked with Jesus in 1 John four nineteen. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Not that they lie about hating them, but you lie about loving God. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He says, man, I'm thankful for your love. You got this right. Remember, it's the love sandwich. Man, I'm thankful, man, that you know Jesus, that you're rooted in Christ. I'm thankful, man, that you, you act on love, that you move. Uh, you don't just sit around. He says, uh, by the way, what we're going to find out here is that even though they're great lovers of others, they're still failing in other areas. Love is not all you need. It's the greatest of God's command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, so mind and strength and and others as yourself. But that does not mean that we neglect other areas. So what he says, he says, man, you got the love right. But there's other areas that you need to work on. Some of you, you think all you need is love. Oh, you just need to be a loving person. Just need to love like Jesus. Well, Jesus also taught us a lot about the kingdom and about life. They go hand in hand. Colossians is a lot about that. He goes, you're not only rooted in Christ and you're rooted in, Love, he says, you're also rooted in the gospel. He says, I'm also thankful, he says, and about, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Everybody say the true message. The true message of the gospel, the true gospel, not the other gospels, not some other religion's gospel or not some other Christian groups gospel, but the true message of the gospel, that which has come to you in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He says, this is vital. He says, there are those out there. That are rooted in a gospel, but not the true gospel. You are rooted in the true gospel. You're rooted in the, the gospel message. The one that you heard, man, you're rooted in Christ. Thank God that you gave your heart to Christ. And you're rooted in love. Thank God that you are lovers of people and that you move on that. You're action-oriented people. And thank God you understand the true gospel that you haven't bought into a lie yet. And he came to write this book to clarify some of the things they were confused about when it came to the gospel. But he says this, he says, the gospel is is truly to be understood. He says, this is vital. I I want you to write this down in your notes. Gospel means this, it means life changing good news. Some people say, well, gospel just means good news. It's more than good news. Good news is like, hey, man, I had, a, I had a parking spot right up front when I went to Target. Well, that's good news. That's cool. You know, gas prices are down. That's good news, right? No, this is life-changing good news. There's a different dynamic here. This is, this is the kind of news. The gospel means the kind of news that changes everything. Changes everything about the world and about your life and about anyone who hears it and receives it. It will change everything for them. This is life changing good news. So what is this good news? Well, the true gospel is this. And we're actually going to unpack this in the next couple of weeks because that's what Colossians spends the first half on. Is that the gospel is this. Clearly, it's simple. Jesus has rescued us from our sin, shame, and shackles, and it changes everything. That's the gospel. It identifies that we have a sin problem, and Jesus rescued us. It identifies that we have issues with our past and shame and what others have done to us, and God rescues us from that. And it breaks us free from the shackles of death and destruction. Jesus rescued us from sin, shame, and shackles of this life. And that changes everything. In Christ, we're free from sin, free from shame, free to love and free to serve. This is the gospel. While love is an action, the gospel is a message. This is important because some people confuse the gospel to be love. While the gospel is a response of God's love, his action was to give his son. The gospel means literally news, a message, a life-changing message. So when you hear go and preach the gospel, it doesn't mean go and preach love. It doesn't mean go and do loving things. You know, there's a popular saying, it's been, we don't really know who said it, it's been attributed to several people, but it's like, uh, go and preach the gospel, and if all else use words, I'm like, oh man, it's, that's deep, that's powerful. Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is a message. Love is an action Because of the gospel in us, we love and we are action people who respond to the injustice and the hurt and those in need. That is not the gospel. Love is not the answer. The gospel is the answer. This is crucial. Love is an action. The gospel is a message. And he says, thank God that you understood the true message of the gospel and that you're rooted in that he says, this is the kind of message that doesn't just change your life. He says, there's there's two parts to this. I want you to understand this. He says, the gospel is a local thing. He says, the true message that has come to you. And somebody told you about the life-changing message of Jesus. Somebody told you. Somebody spoke their words. Words and you listened or you received or you read something and you accepted, you received it. There was a message relayed to you. They didn't just love on you. They didn't just do good things for you. They didn't just feed you or clothe you or visit you in prison. Those are actions of love as a result of the gospel that has truly touched someone's life. He says, but because of the true message that you heard, your life has never been the same. Because somebody told you. And then he says, and then he says, The gospel is a global thing. He says, not only you, but he says the gospel is bearing fruit through the whole world. He says, man, aren't you glad somebody came to you? He said, but guess what? There's people going around the world. You know, to this this moment right now, today, you know, there's billions of people on the planet right now. Now, out of 7 billion people, 3 billion people claim to have a faith in Christ. I don't know if they're authentic faith or not. I don't know. But 3 billion people are meeting today around the globe in the name of Christ because somebody went to somewhere who went to somewhere. Went, I mean, he's writing to a church he'd never even been to because he went somebody to the Lord in Ephesus and they went and started a church in Colossae because somebody told them, because somebody went to them. It's a local thing. It's a global thing. The key is this. He says, it's that you have a teachable heart. Look at verse seven. He says, you learned it from Epaphras, that's your pastor, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. He says, man, I'm so thankful that you're rooted in Christ, that you're rooted in love and that you're rooted in the true gospel, which you learned, which somebody told you and you accepted and you received. I'm thankful that you have a pastor who taught you and that you received it. Guys, I want to challenge you guys to do something. This series, will you receive the words of the apostle? Will you receive the words of Colossians as we dive into what he has for us? He says, when I think of you, I am thankful of your faith in Christ, your love for others, and that you embrace the true gospel. And then he goes on to say, and this is what I want to end this section, this section on today. He says, uh, he says, not only when I think of you am I thankful, but when I think about you, I pray for you. And what does he pray for? Well, this is what he says, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, remember, he hadn't met many of them. He says, when I heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What does he pray for? Well, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, you know what? I pray that you will know and understand God's will. Who would like to know God's will? Anybody here? Wouldn't that be great? God, what is your will? Man, if we could wake up in the morning and walk in God's will, that would change everything. It would affect every area of our life. He says, Man, I pray that you understand and know God's will. He says, Say that so that you may know what job to take. He doesn't say that. Uh, I pray that you know God's will so that you may know who to marry. He doesn't say that so that so that you may know who to date or or what to buy or where to go to school he says he says no this is not why i pray that you would know god's will he says i pray that you may know god's will so that you may live a life worthy of the lord and please him in every way his prayer i pray that you understand and know god's will so that you live a life that honors jesus I want you to write this down. I think it's in your notes. You can just circle it. It's one sentence. It says, God's will is not so much about the decisions we make as as it is about the life we live. It's not so much about the town you live in, but how you live there. It's not so much about who you marry, but how you do marriage. It's not so much about what job you have, but how your work reflects Christ. God's will is more about who we are becoming than what we are doing And the question is, he says, the will of God is that you become more like Christ in your love and in your actions and in your faith and how you respond to those in the world around you. Do you act more like me every day? Because that's the will of God. That's what Jesus desires for us. Paul prayed for the knowledge of God's will, not answers to life's problems. He didn't pray that, that God would give them the answer or to solve the problems that they're going through. This is important because if you read the New Testament and you, if you do a study on the prayers of the New Testament and you were to kind of put them side by side, very Few, if any of those prayers, have anything to do with fix my problem. They all say the same thing. God, your will be done. Align me with you and give me strength to live a life that honors you. That is an ongoing prayer through the entire New Testament. God, give me endurance. Give me strength. Give me boldness. God, help me to submit to your will, not fix my problems or shut my my enemies down. It is the prayers of the New Testament are, God, align me with your will and give me strength. Paul's prayer for them to know how to please God, not to where to live or what job to take. He then gives them God's will. Four things, God's will for you this year. God's will for you, Period. Not just 2015, but 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20 for the rest of your life. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 21 or whether you're 121, it doesn't matter. This is God's will for you if you are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, God's will is for you, first of all, to know Christ. And then this is God's will for you. So this is what he says. God's will is this, to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How? How? Here's God's will by bearing fruit in every good work, by growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened with all power according to the glorious mind so that you may have great endurance and patience, and by giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible is not written in English. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. The Bible was written in in a variety of ancient Semitic languages, and in Hebrew and in. Uh, Greek, and an Aramaic. And uh, different times of, of, uh, of the Bible's history is when those languages were used. In fact, some of the oldest languages we don't even have around anymore. Ancient Semitic languages that, that don't even exist anymore was, was probably what Moses wrote the original documents with. What we have are ancient 2,000-year-old Hebrew scriptures. The New Testament was written in Greek. It was not written in English. And a lot of times, translators, when going from Greek to English, they, they, they basically make it real wordy because a, a particular word in the Greek or in the ancients can represent a whole lot of emotions and feelings in cultural context. So sometimes in the translations, the English translations, they're real wordy and sometimes they can be real uh, confusing or, or when, when actually the writers meant them to be quite simple. So when we read these letters, like, man, four uh, you know, chapters, it might seem short or long to you, but it's actually probably shorter in the original because we've added words to explain some of the you know, depth of their language. And, and so what I want to do is give you very simply four things that Paul says is God's will for them, and God's will for us, for every follower. And this is it, very simply. Number one, he says God's will for every Christian made simple. Number one is do good and bear fruit. He says, man, I pray that you would know God's will by bearing fruit in every good work. So that means do good and bear fruit. It is God's will that you make God look good. That you do things that make God famous. We were created in Christ for this very purpose. Look, this is what he says to the church of Ephesus. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created for what? What are we created for? We're created for good works. At which God prepared beforehand. I mean this was his that I means this was God's plan long before he ever said, Let there be light. His plan for us as human beings was to do good works. To do good works. We're created in Christ for good works and that we should walk in them. This is his plan. Do good. Bear fruit, not just do good, but bear fruit. And the bear fruit is a, is a reference to spiritual fruit. That means eternal fruit. That means we don't just go around doing good, but we do it in the name of Christ for the purpose of building fruit and seeing fruit in the world. Guys, this is important. If you've ever wondered if you should help somebody, Yes. If you've ever thought that maybe you should give uh, to support something, if you have it, yes. If you've ever thought if you should, you know, reach out to someone who's hurting or need, yes. If you've ever seen somebody who's cold and they need a coach, should you help? The answer is yes. If you've ever seen somebody hungry and you wonder if you should give them something to eat, the answer is yes. You were created for that reason, to do good works in Christ Jesus and to walk in them, it's not—it's not a scheduled good work. It's not well once a week. You know, I—I I do this, and once a month I volunteer here. I mean, those are good things, but do you walk in it? Is this a daily thing that you daily do good works? Not just once a month on the first Saturday of the month that you serve or you help or you go down to the mission or whatever or you you volunteer. It's like, man, I've done my good works. So I'm book. You know, we walk in them. We live this out. This is the will of God for you. God's will is this without. Here's it. Why? Why? This is important. Why are we called to do good works? I've heard it said. This is because without good works, we have no credibility. If Jesus, if we say that Jesus is loving and caring and stands up against injustice and reaches out to those. If, he, if we say that Jesus is who he says that he is, and then we are to reflect that in our life and actions, and we don't, then we have no credibility with our words. Credibility with our words are in Christ. He says, man, do good works. It goes on to say in another in, in First Peter, so that they might see the glory of God and rejoice with you. Nobody will listen until they know you care. The gospel is a message. The feet of the gospel is love and good deeds. Jesus walked in power and in deed, and he preached the kingdom. It is both word and deed. It is message and action. Here's the second thing. He says, this is God's will for you. Not only do good deeds and bear work, but number two is to get to know God better. Very simple. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that uh, we kicked off the, the new year, the last couple of weeks, talking about this. But he says, man, your God, God's will is for you to grow in the knowledge of God. That's it. Now, notice that it doesn't say grow in your knowledge about God. He says, but grow in the knowledge of God. There's a difference knowing about God and knowing God. And he says, this is important. This is important. Phrase is not about you getting like super trivia smart about the Bible. This is not about you figuring out all the answers to the questions that everybody has about the Bible for you being able to hit your buzzer first on the Bible trivia game. This is not about knowing answers or knowing information. This is about knowing God. See, you can know a lot about me. You can know a lot about your celebrity right? You can know when your celebrity, your favorite athlete or ce- celebrity, you know, is born. We got football this afternoon. Whoop. And you know what? Some of you guys, you know, the stats of every player on that team. Some of you fantasy football dudes, you're like way too involved in that. I am just going to say, sometimes I'll sit down with some of you guys and I have, you know, cause I don't do fantasy football. I like have nothing for 15 minutes. I'm just like waiting for you guys to run out of things to say because I got nothing. And uh, it's, it's, but you guys know the stats, you know the figures, you know their histories, you know their stories, you know their passing, and, you, you know, you, got, you you already know first drafts and stuff for next season. I mean, you're following everything, you know, but you don't know any of those guys. You don't know, you, you might know, let's just go for the Cowboys. I, I like Cowboys. You might know everything about Troy Aikman, but I don't think any of you have ever really sat down with him. Maybe you have, but very few of you probably ever really know Troy Aikman. There's a difference between knowing about and knowing, He says, I don't want you to know about God. You need to get to know God. And one of the ways is, yes, it's through the scripture, but even more so, but even more so, it's by, even to a greater degree, it's by obeying and trusting what we already know about God. When we walk in what we already know, When we begin to walk in that, God begins to reveal himself as we follow in obedience and as we trust what we already believe. This is intense. When you walk in what you understand, you know him more and more. Here's a third thing he says. uh, He says this, verse 11, he says, And also God's will is for you that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That sounds awesome, man. That sounds like, man, strengthened in his power. You know, it's like, man, you know, it's like, he man. You know, it's all of a sudden, if I walk with God, I'm strengthened in the power of his might. You know, like you're some hero. But this has nothing to do with winning all the fights and and winning all your battles. This has nothing to do with being in victory. In the issues of life, he says, this is about being in victory in spite of the issues of life. He says, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might. Yeah. And then it says this, so that you may have great endurance. The word endurance there means hardship under tough circumstances. He says, man, I want you to be strong so that you can endure tough times. And then he says, and that you will be patient. The word patient there means long suffering with people who irritate you. So he says, I want you to be strong. Yeah, God's will is for you to be strong. Yeah, so that you can endure tough times and tough people. That's God's will for you. This This is the third thing. What's God's will for you is to toughen up. Toughen up. I pray that God would show his knowledge and will to you so that you can be stronger in enduring the things of life. We often think that being in God's will means everything will go good, but it doesn't, and that's not what it means. Sometimes the things in life are meant to toughen us up. You know, there are some people here that the second something bad in their life goes, uh, on, they immediately begin to question God and their faith in God begins to waver. The news report from the doctor or a bad situation at work or or whatever. And all of a sudden, man, I don't know, I'm just in a spiritual slump because everything in my life is falling apart. Well, man, toughen up, man. It's God's will for you to toughen up. You know, part of me wants to say, suck it up. But you know, I don't want to offend people when they come to me for prayers. Like, Let me pray for you. God, help them to suck it up. I don't think you guys want me to pray for you anymore. If my prayer was like, Lord, make him a little tougher. God, give him a little bit more strength so he wouldn't be such a baby when things come his way. God, build patience by giving him impatient people. God, give him trials to toughen him up. In Jesus' name, amen. You would never come to me ever again, right? If you're you're sick in the hospital and said, will you pray for me? I'll pray for you healing. God, heal them. But, Lord, if this is going to make them tougher, then keep them right here in this bed. <laughs> Nurse, <laughs> get them out. <laughs> God wants us to, to be strengthened in the power of his might, so that we might endure tough circumstances and have patience with tough people. And this is God's will for you, toughen up. Some of you guys are, are so, you know, spiritually shallow that the second trials and come, you are like start... Dictating to God what his problems are. When God's saying, you know what? This is why you're going through trials because I want to squeeze those out of you. I want you to look to me more than you do your stuff or do your people or to your friends or the security of your job. But look at the security of me. Though we don't want it, what we really need in life is endurance and strength. The people we endure, the trials we face, the circumstances we are placed in chisel and mold us to look like Jesus. So do good and bear fruit. Get to know God better, toughen up. And this is the last thing he says that I want God's will for you to be is this. Number four, he says in verse 12, and that you would be one who's giving thanks, joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. Basically he says, you know what God's will for you is? Be thankful. Don't be so negative. Don't be so gripey. Don't be such a downer all the time. Don't be like, so woe is me, sucks my life is this, and my family this, and my job is this. God says, you know, first of all, toughen up. And then he says, you know what? Be thankful. This is God's will for you. Do good works and bear fruit. Boom. Walk in a way that changes lives by doing good all day long. And then he says, number two, I want you to just dig in. Know me. Just know me better. Walk in what you know about me, and I'll show yourself. I'll show myself to you. Just walk with me. And he says, and toughen up. God's will for you is to toughen up and to be thankful. God wants this for you. Stop complaining. Stop being bitter. Stop assuming the worst. This is a way to make counseling meetings real short. Someone comes in and says, "Oh man, my 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 marriage is struggling," and I'm like, "Well, hey, let's turn to First Thessalonians five sixteen and start with this." And okay, let's read this. And like oh, they're looking at each other, you know, oh, you know, they're mad. And I'll say, "Why don't you read this, husband?" First Thessalonians five sixteen: Rejoice always. Mm. Prayer without ceasing. I'm gonna need it if I'm living with her, you know. And she's like, what you're talking, I pray about for you every day that you would change. Uh, (laughs) Typical. We all need to change, right? First Thessalonians, he says, uh, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I think about this verse and I say, you know what? Whatever the circumstance you're in, rejoice. God is with you. Be prayerful. You can talk to him about it and be thankful. Find areas of thankfulness and gratitude. You may not like your job, but thank God you have a job. Well, I don't have a job. Well, thank God you got some free time to seek God. His will is for you to be thankful. There's freedom in this. You know, as a parent, those of you that are parents, when your kids are thankful, does that change the way that you respond to them? Oh, my goodness, yes. When you do something for them and bless them and they don't recognize it or they're not thankful for it or they blow it off like it's a big deal, just heads up, young people. As a parent, that means I don't want to do anything else for you until you learn to be thankful. Thankful is not something that I am looking for because I want to be thankful you know, someone who's recognized what I've done, it shows an attitude of the heart on them. And when someone walks in thankful, I mean, God is so much better than us earthly parents who screw up most of the time and mess up and and make mistakes. Our God who is perfect in every way, if there's anything good in us, it's it's from God. And if we can look at our kids and, and bless them when they are thankful, how much more will God bless us when we are thankful? How much more will God work on our behalf when we are thankful? How much more will God hold back His blessings when we are unthankful. He says, this is God's will for you. Be thankful. Well, you say, well, my life's chaotic, Ted. My uh, my life's in shambles. You don't have any idea what I'm going through. How can I be thankful? Well, this is how Paul ends his hello. Verse 12, he says, and joyful, giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you. Through the cross to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. That means thankful that when this life is over, heaven waits for you. You know, my mother used to always say she died uh, young, uh, but when she was uh, alive, she, meant she loved Jesus and she had a life of a tremendous amount of physical problems and, and uh, uh, trials and abuse. And and she used man one of her favorite phrases was, uh, "This too shall pass." This too shall because she had her eyes. On heaven, He said, man, you can be thankful because someday the trials of this life will be over and you have an inheritance if you're in Christ. And then he says this, for he, Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. That's, that means our position in Christ has changed. And we, have, we can be thankful for that. And in whom we have redemption. That means because of Christ, we are made valuable again. And we can be thankful for that. And that the forgiveness of sins... Some of you guys have done some things you're pretty ashamed of, but through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins and we can be pretty thankful for that. He says, man, we're washed new, given a new life, given a fresh start, regardless of your trials, you can be thankful and that's the will of God for you. Be thankful. Boy, what a way What a way to start, a thankful prayer. I'm thankful for you and I'm prayerful for, uh, prayerful for you. So what he does next is, as he then dives into the richness of how Christ is truly enough. So next week, we're going to go to Colossians part two, and where Paul gets into what we know about Christ and how it changes everything for us. And uh, I want to pray for you. So let's uh, let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much that, uh, Lord, you have given us a reason to be thankful. God, you sent your only son to this planet, to walk in our shoes and experience the temptations of our life. And he walked it all the way to the cross where he died, not just for my sins, but for the sins of the world, for anyone that will believe and trust and call upon the Lord, they shall be saved. If there's someone here today and you are hearing this and you're receiving this and the light bulbs are coming on and you want to take a moment just to say, Jesus Christ, I want to I want to walk with the church in Colossae. I want to be thankful. I, I want that will. I want your will to be done in my life. And when you just take a moment right now, just to talk to Jesus, just to talk to God right now, and say, God, here's my heart, here's my life. Go ahead and tell Him in your own words, forgive me of my sin, wash me clean. I want to start over with You. Go ahead and tell Him. Go ahead and tell Him, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, wash me clean. I want to know You. I want to walk in your will for me. God, thank you, Lord, that you have given us a reason to be thankful. Anyone who is praying that prayer right now and talking to you, Jesus, you're giving them a new start, a new day, a new beginning. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.